with them. All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Hello, San Dimas, and welcome to a very special episode of Two Geeks, Two Beers. I mean, they're all special. This one is oh, yeah. especially non-heinous. Uh, <laughs> both Tom and I are firmly established, I think, as Bill and Ted fans, and so we were absolutely thrilled and delighted to welcome to the podcast, as a special guest, Ed Solomon, who is the co-creator of the characters and co-writer of all three movies, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and now Bill and Ted Face the Music, which has just recently hit theatres in the UK. Uh, Ed very kindly made some time for us Uber fans to talk about the development of the new movie, the origins of Bill and Ted, paying tribute to the late George Carlin, and why it always seems to prove tricky to get a Bill and Ted movie off the ground. Um, <laughs> just before we dive into the interview with Ed, Tom, what does Bill and Ted mean to you? How have the Wild Stallions bit into your history? <laughs> well, thanks, Morgan. Um, well, yeah, I, you know, uh, um, I've said as many times from a young age, I've always loved anything that involves time travel. Mm. Um, you know, Back to the Future, Terminator, what have you, even Red Dwarf, dabbled with it quite a few times. Um, and one of the main ones for me was the Bill and Ted films. Because um, I have to be honest, I, you know, I'm not a massive Doctor Who fan. Um, and I, as a kid, I never watched it. So the idea of time traveling in a phone box, I only knew from Bill and Ted rather than from Doctor Who. Um, and, you it, know, it was a little... It, it, it wasn't it wasn't a homage it was an accidental homage they just thought yeah because uh, because originally it was going to be bill and ted's time van and they said <laughs> well that, that's a little too close to the delorean so what else yeah. a, a phone booth and only later did they realize it was yeah an accidental Whoops. nod to doctor who <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i was a little bit too young to see them at the cinema but i must have had them recorded off the tv in like the early 90s and i just you know i loved the characters and you know, the different time periods of the first one and then the, the bonkers, like, sci-fi of the second one. Um, and, it, you know, it just it, despite everything that was going on in it, it always had great heart and warmth throughout. Mm. Um, and I think Bill and Ted as characters, they're all so strangely innocent and sweet in a way that, you know, similar characters have, a you know, like Wayne's World or what have you, they, they had a bit of, like, naughtiness to them, whereas I feel like Bill and Ted were just, like, just, just dumbasses, but just nice. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And in no way are they like unpleasant or mean. It's not mean spirited in any way, you know. I'm like those sort of films, um, and that's why I think it works so well. And to see them come back after so many years is such a treat. I never would have thought, never would have thought they would have come back. And and it's always a worry when that kind of thing happens. But reviews have been brilliant, and I'm really pleased that it's doing so well. Yeah, yeah. I think similar to you, I had yeah, I was a little too young uh, to see the first two movies in the cinema. But again. Like so many of the movies we talk about, actually, on this podcast, I had the, the films taped off the TV. And yeah. I did just watch them over and over and over again. And they are films that you can watch on repeat and never get bored of. Uh, excellent adventure, but also Bogus Journey, which I know is more divisive. <laughs> but but I love every single second of that movie. I think I mentioned it in the interview with Ed. Um, just I, I, I could sort of quote it verbatim, the, the whole thing. <laughs> Catch you later, evil dude. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and my one of my favourite lines, which doesn't get enough credit, is, dude, we're in heaven and we just mugged three people. <laughs> just great. And, uh, and, and They melvined me. They mel <laughs> William Sadler as death. He's brilliant. Um, isn't he? yeah. Incredible. They melvined me. Yeah. I totally possessed my dad. Like so many great <laughs> moments in that movie. Um, so, yeah, as, as you say, oh, I think yeah. they're just the ultimate feel-good movies. Um, they have lovable characters 
time travel, aliens and robots. What is not to love about Bill and Ted? And great um, soundtracks as well. And, and you know, and I love that um, so many of the previous cast have come back for the new one as well. Yeah. You know, like, they come to, uh, Ted, is it Ted's dad? That is Ted's coming dad, back? Ted's dad yeah. and Missy. And, and, and Missy's back. Yeah, great. <laughs> we, like, we like that commitment. Um, fantastic. Well, that's that's enough from us. You've all heard more than enough from us, which is just as well because we barely speak um, <laughs> for the next part. Ed had a lot to say, but that's what we wanted. Um, he gave us a really fantastic, uh, in-depth exploration of the Bill and Ted franchise, really. So let's jump into our phone box and travel back to last Monday when we spoke to Ed Solomon. And to, parapha- <laughs> to paraphrase Bill S. Preston Esquire, Listen to this guy, Ed Solomon. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. Well, hello, and welcome to our latest Two Geeks, Two Beers interview special with a very special guest, writer, producer, director, but most importantly, stupid waiter, stupid seance member, and stupid demon, Ed Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, for actually uh, finally uh, attributing the most important credits to me that you possibly could. Thank you. <laughs> I'm also hoping that if there's a BAFTA acting award, uh, that the, the committee is, you know, is paying close attention to my role as stupid demon. Absolutely. Ed, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the Two Geeks, Two Beers podcast. We really, really appreciate you uh, taking some time. Oh, gosh, thank you for having me, and it's great to be here. Now, Ed, Bill and Ted Face the Music is finally out in theatres and on demand in the US. It's coming to cinemas internationally very soon, including uh, in the UK on September 16th. What have you made of the response to the movie so far after working on it for so long? I was scared when this movie was getting ready to come out because I just did not know how people would respond. And we had not just worked so long on it, but at the end of the day, it's just this silly little diversion. You know, it's not intending to be anything other than um, just a follow up to the Bill and Ted movies that was made totally from the heart, but it was such hard work to get made. And over the course of the getting, trying to get it made, which was 12 years, we had so many stops and starts and so many announcements that, hey, it's going, it's going. And then uh, it would just fall apart. And I was feeling so horrible uh, about having to uh, tell people once again that it was going to fall apart because two weeks before we started production, it fell apart. Wow. And it was a hard, hard fight uh, to keep it afloat. And thankfully it did. Our, we lost, we had three investors. We had two single individuals and one consortium and the consortium fell apart. The two individuals stepped up, people like myself and other people involved, Scott Kroof and Chris, Dean, Keanu, Alex, everyone put a bunch of, not that we were being paid very much anyway, and we weren't, but we put a large chunks back in to the movie. Wow. We had to reduce the budget. We had to, there was a lot of stuff that kind of, to, to get it to actually start and then once dean pariso said action the pressure changed uh the set itself was one of those you hear this sometimes and it's often not true and i've worked on really difficult movies and really easy movies it's never a reflection of the quality of the film you know whether the movie is a fun one to make or a terrible one to make mm. you know men in black was a very difficult movie <laughs> to to make and it was a lot of stress and tension and you know, people weren't getting along and it turned out to be a very light and kind of frothy, fun film. So I didn't know because the Bill and Ted experience trying to get it made was a nightmare. But but once we were in shooting, it was a joy. Like Dean created an atmosphere on set of play and the actors were one after another after another, just so fun to work with. And Keanu and Alex worked so hard that it wasn't like, oh, we're all showing up and goofing off all day. We had very little money to make the movie. We had very little time because we had very little money. And because Alex and Keanu were so prepared, and I mean, they showed up memorized, ready to go. And so everyone, that set the tone for everyone. to. So everyone worked really hard, 
And I think there's a kind of dignity in really hard work. I think there's a feeling like, okay, we're putting everything into it. And the, the professionalism of people uh, kicks in. And I think there's a lot of nobility in that, but there was a lot of play. And Dean did this incredible job of shielding us from the very real pressure that was happening on the production side of just financial and weather and people's fears about would, you know, were we gonna get shut down because of a hurricane? Were we gonna have 106 degree weather that we're shooting in that big final outside thing for five days in a row? Are people gonna pass out? You know, all that stuff we were shielded from. And so it was a really fun shoot, a really fun shoot, but we kept some time we set aside in post and some money to shoot a couple other scenes because we knew that it would be tricky to get the third act to work right. So we knew we were going to need to add some some footage that we had written. We just didn't know which of these scenes we were going to need. And then COVID hit in post-production. So we couldn't shoot the stuff we wanted to shoot. So that, that added pressure to the editorial situation, which was already under pressure because they were unable to go to an editing room. People were working individually at their houses. Everything was slowed down. And then I thought, are we going to get this movie finished? And if we do, is it going to work for people? This is a very long way of answering your question. <laughs> but to say that I was scared. And I, I was scared because I've never had a movie with this much anticipation. And the first movie, you know, nobody cared about. You know, we wrote it. No, we didn't even think people would you know, buy it, let alone make it, let alone want to see it. The, but this one, for some reason, there was a lot of anticipation and I really didn't want to let people down. And so I was afraid, like, how could, how could we not let people down? It's just this kind of, it's just a little comedy, you know, but, but thankfully it landed better than I had expected. Uh, and it, the word of mouth was better than, and uh, that I had uh, hoped. And for the people, look, I'm not, obviously not everyone's going to like the movie because it's a Bill and Ted movie, and it's always polarized people. People like people. <laughs> there are people that love Bill and Ted, and there are people that just can't stand it. It doesn't seem to be anything in the middle. I, I don't know why that is. There, are, there are people. There are people who love Bill and Ted, and there are people who are wrong. And that's, that's, that's the polarization here. I, yeah. I appreciate that. I, I, I can't make that comment, but I am so grateful now, though, that it landed well because it was it went from being this thing that for Chris Matheson and me was uh, an, a manifestation of a time of our life, like an expression of adolescence and sort of exuberance written just because we were trying to make each other laugh and ourselves laugh. These characters that we loved to play, but didn't know if anyone else would actually appreciate. Uh, it, it had this tiny little cult following, which grew a bit and then kind of kept kept alive for some reason over the decades, which surprised us. And when it, we got the chance to make this third movie, it went from being a little lark, little larky little comedy to suddenly a life's work. And it would have been truly humiliating and a real bummer for me if that life's work would have um, been soured because we couldn't get this one right. Because we made it with, for the right reasons. But you just never know once the thing comes together if A, it'll work creatively, or B, how people will respond to it. You just don't know. 25 years ago, you played a concert in front of the entire world. One month ago, you played in Barso, California for 40 people, most of whom were there for $2 taco night. Bill and Ted, what have you got to say for yourselves? Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. You were supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. We've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! And take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? Well, you know, the first 
two Bill and Ted films, you know, they're films that really are really taken to the hearts of everyone who's a massive fan of the Bill and Ted franchise. Hugely important movies to the people that love them. When did you first realise just quite how formative these movies were for a particular generation? That's a great question. I don't think I understood it until I started to pay more attention to social media stuff. And even then, I didn't really realize it uh, until about two years ago when I started getting more involved on Twitter myself. Mm. And I would see how people were talking about it. And it was staggering to me. Like, I, I did know this. Whenever I would travel somewhere, strange places, like <laughs> I was once in South Korea or I was in Beirut or I was in... Um, uh, you know, or, or well, obviously, like in London, we all, we had a in, in the UK, we had we. I think the movie was was more well known, but in a lot of places around the world, just people it didn't even get released. But whenever I would go to like conferences in these strange corners of the world, and I would talk about various movies that I was working on, whether it was like Now You See Me or Men in Black or whatever Charlie's Angels. I'm just thinking of movies that had sequels. There was no movie that got the positive response that. Mm -hmm. Bill and Ted did. And that that was my first indication. The other one was Alex and Keanu we used to tell us all, tell Chris and I all the time, like, dude, you don't understand. Like, we, we get more Bill and Ted questions than we get about anything else. Keanu would get more Bill and Ted than Matrix sometimes. Um, and so I was like, that doesn't make sense, given that it didn't really do that much. But that's kind of good to hear. So gradually, I started going, I, I think there's an audience for this movie. And when we decided to went to write it, when Alex and Keanu signed off on the story idea that we had, and we all decided, okay, let's try this. We thought it would be a no brainer for the studio. I mean, truly, we wrote it on spec, meaning speculative, meaning nobody paid us. We just wrote it. We did not own the rights to it. We were trying to get it creatively correct, but also we thought it was a no brainer. We thought we'd just waltz into MGM and hand them a script and they'd be like, thank you. <laughs> and they weren't. They were like, uh, well, thank you. Uh, but we have an Bill and Ted movie that we're planning to make that involves uh, two YouTube stars and wow. a time-traveling cell phone. Uh, it's a reboot. Oh. And we were like, wait, what? And I never read that. <laughs> thank God that never got made. And that began a... 10-year process to try to get financing. MGM was kind enough to let us try and take it wherever we could take it, which was nice of them. And nobody wanted it, not one person. And then gradually, uh, quite a few, you know, a few different things happened. I think as social media grew, people's voices were heard more. And the, the numbers, quote unquote, that, that to the bean counters didn't support a sequel based on how well or not well Bill and Ted did mm. 30 years ago, they were able to hear the public response and they go, well, hmm, they might, you know, and, and obviously Keanu's career kept rising and he has had a great few years. And finally, I think uh, they went, let's put it, you know, we'll distribute it if you raise the money. We had real trouble raising the money. And then finally this guy, Alex Leibovich, uh, one of our producers uh, with, uh, Scott Krupp, who was our, one of our other producers, was able to raise the money. And even though, as I said, it fell apart two weeks before we were shooting, uh, and finally to come back together again, um, we, uh, yeah, then we were able to finally get this, <laughs> finally get this thing going. I think I lost my train of thought, but <laughs> um, if you can make any sense of that, please do. <laughs> with a were there almost parallels, do you think, between uh, trying to get Face the Music off the ground and going back to the late 80s, trying to get Excellent Adventure off the ground? I mean, was that was that a hard sell, Excellent Adventure, back in the day? Well, that's a great question, too. Um, the, the history of Bill and Ted, Excellent Adventure and Face the Music, Bogus Journey is different because Bogus Journey was a sequel that was sort of initiated by the people who owned it and rushed into production. So that was a very, that was the inverse problem, which I can get to in a second. But in, in terms of your specific question, Excellent Adventure and Face the Music faced very similar 
challenges and had a, had a very similar uh, upbringing, I guess, for lack of a better word. That, you know, Excellent Adventure, we, we wrote pretty quickly, um, Chris and I, and gave it to my agents, then agents at the time. And, you know, I was 23 and Chris was, I think, 24 and gave it to my agents. And they just hated it. They just <laughs> did not like it. And I did this thing where, where, you know, we I called a meeting with all the agents and Chris drove me. He had this persimmon colored Carmen Ghia, I remember, drove me there. He waits in the parking lot. I go upstairs. They're all in a conference room. There's like six of them. And I said, okay. And I give this speech that I've been preparing to give. I believe in this movie. And, you know, if this were a movie, if this were a movie scene, it would be, you know, the, the, the soundtrack would be welling and it would end with, and now let's all go. And they'd all go, let's go. And then they'd all, they'd all walk out arm in arm, except uh, where I said, and if you guys don't believe in it, then maybe you're not the right people to represent me. To which they said, well, maybe we're not then. <laughs> Good luck. And uh, I walked down to the car and Chris is like, well, how to go. And, uh, almost really well. Yeah, it went almost really well. It, it <laughs> yeah, and then uh, thankfully there was this other young agent, a guy named David Greenblatt, who had read a different script of mine a couple of years ago or something, you know, I, I mean, oh no, I had met a couple years ago when I got my very first like baby writer job on this TV thing. And I called him and I said, like, hey, would you read this script? And he's like, of course. And he read it and he liked it. And we got it set up at this place called Interscope, which was Robert Court and Ted Field and Scott Roof. And a woman named Pat Troyce was involved with it for a long time. But that group, we, we, I, we set it up, they optioned it for $5,000. We were paid 15,000 to rewrite it, which we, you know, we obviously split. Uh, and they set it up at Warner Brothers. And we started to do a draft or two for Warner Brothers. And that was about a year. And that was when Warner's I know was trying to get us to differentiate the characters, make one the smart guy, make one the, you know, romantic guy. And none of that ever worked. Not, none of those versions ever worked. And ultimately, Warner Brothers put it in turnaround. De Laurentiis picked it up, DEG, De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. They financed it. And suddenly we're making the movie. But this was, I'm going to say 87. So it was 84, December 84, early 85 that it got set up, put in turnaround in maybe 86. Um, 87, we, we got, you know, got the financing to make it. I think it was like seven or seven and a half million dollars. They shoot the film, DEG goes bankrupt. We have a rough cut of the film. It's gonna sit on the shelf. There was talk about it just going straight to video at that point. It was unfinished really. And uh, it looked like, oh, well, nothing's gonna happen with it. Nelson Entertainment stepped in in the 88, put in another like a million bucks or something for to re-edit it and added a few, re reshot a few things. And it came out in 89. Dudes, you guys are going to go back in time. Yeah! You are going to have the most excellent adventure through history. Who are you guys? We're you, dude! No way. No way. Yes way, Ted! Look, we know how you feel. We didn't believe it either when we were you, and we us said what we us are saying right now. Okay, wait. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <sighs> so that was a six year from inception to, you know, to coming out. Ups and downs. There were stories about people at DEG, like creative meetings where half the room was screaming at the other half. This was evil. It's about the, ex it's about, uh, what did they say? It, it, it glorifies ignorance, which <laughs> I don't think. But maybe it does, but we don't know. Maybe I'm too ignorant to know that. People throwing the script, I heard, like, throwing the script across the room. This is bullshit. It's evil. This is awful. And other people going, no, you don't get it. That's always been that thing. So in Face the Music, it's the same thing. 2008, we're at dinner at Alex's house, me and Chris and Keanu. And Alex, we had a barbecue. We're sitting outside. I just remember we're eating outside. There's fire. 
And we're saying, is it, is this something, if we ever did a Bill and Ted movie again, what is the story that's worth doing? And if we, cause, cause none of us want to do it just to do it. And uh, that was when the idea we, Chris and I had come in with a couple notions to see if the guys were up for it. And this notion that it hadn't worked out for them, all the things they were promised as adolescents that were, was like their adolescent fantasies coming true, this destiny that they were supposedly promised they had. What if that didn't happen? And what if they've been trying really hard? And what if this movie is about the, the relief of that burden somehow? And that was the, the core notion that the guys went, that's kind of cool. Why don't you guys think about what a story would be around that? And the next year we met in 2009 at my house and Chris and I had worked out the basic beats, like the basic gist of the second act of the movie, which is, well, we know that we must have written this song that's supposed to unite the world because they told us in the future we had, we just must not have done it yet. What if we go into the future to when we have written it and steal it from ourselves? Like, oh, okay, that gives us the spine of the movie. Now we know what that is. It's kind of an, a Christmas Carol type movie. Uh, and we told them that and then they had some notes and they said, why don't you guys write a draft? So then we wrote a draft in 2010, rewrote it. And I think by 2011, it's when we brought it to MGM all excited and then began this 2011 to what is it now, 2020 process of mm, rejection, almost not rejection, rejection, uh, almost not rejection, rejection. We got it set up at a place called STX. We did a draft, they put it in turnaround, it was gonna go to Lionsgate, then they didn't want it. Then, you know, it was this up and down thing again, it, crazy. So I just think that's the history of Bill and Ted. And I, the Bogus Journey on the other hand was the inverse of that. Bogus Journey was, okay guys, we're gonna do a sequel. We're gonna shoot it in three months, <laughs> write it now. And if you don't wanna write it, we're gonna get someone else to write it and we're gonna shoot in January and you're gonna release it in July. And it was like, ah, how? Ah. So in a way we benefited on Bogus Journey because they didn't have time to fight us on some of the um, more crazy ideas of Bogus Journey. We, because they pitched to us this time go in the guys go into literature this time they have an english test and now they have to pass their english test and so they go into fiction and i understand in theory why going into fiction is a kind of a cool idea you, we, you know we were we were trying to come up with ideas of like it's huck finn and now there's you know there's bill and ted and or they're they're in um they're in uh brothers karmatsov or maybe crime and punishment and you know, suddenly, or Romeo and Juliet and, and Bill and Ted, or we, we were throwing these ideas around and ultimately it was like the same thing. It was like, this is just a rehash of the old movie. It's still time travel, it's just fiction. And then I think it was Chris. I'm guessing it was Chris, because it sounds like an idea Chris would have had. In a good way, I think, like, what if we just kill him and send him to hell or something like that? And we're like, that's so much more fun. What if we do just kill him and send him to hell? Yeah, and then we started laughing about that. And we pitched that one to the producers and they were like, uh, I think go into fiction is probably the way to go. And we're like, no, no, it's called Bill and Ted go to hell. And it would be, and they're like, uh. and they go, well, anyway, we got to get Keanu and Alex on board. And um, Keanu was in Boston or not Boston. He was in Western Massachusetts doing Shakespeare. And we flew and I remember the flight because it was the first time I ever flew in first class. And it was like, I'm going to use every inch of this plane. I'm like touching stuff and laying out and getting nuts. And it was so much fun. I'd never been in first class before because they were flying us. So it was kind of cool. And we flew out, met them for dinner. And we said, okay, so the story that they want us to do, we did not pitch this very well. <laughs> you guys go into fiction, it's literature. And don't worry if it seems like a rehash, because it is a rehash, but, <laughs> or there's this other idea that we want to do, but they don't want us to do, or you <laughs> die and go to hell. And that's the guy that went, thank God for Alex and Keanu, because that, of course, was the one they wanted to do. And that gave us the power to go back and go, sorry, we tried really hard on the literature idea, but 
they're going to die and go to hell and they're like, God damn it. Okay. <laughs> we got to do the robots. We got to do the aliens. We got to go, got to do the whole thing. So we, well, how, how are yeah. these people in charge of, of films? They don't seem to know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, there are good people and there are not, you know, and people, people have, it wasn't that they were bad or wrong. It was that I understand why the mentality of, well, that worked and yeah. it's a sequel. Let's make it something that works again. Thank God for, for our partners, for Alex and Keanu, because Chris and I were not excited about doing the literature one, but we were excited about doing the, the go to hell one. We didn't get the script completely right. I think we were rushed on it and we didn't get the third act right. I think the movie suffers because of script problems in the third act that we rewrote the third act quite a few times and then ultimately ran out of time to fix it in the way that we probably should. We made a key, a basic like screenwriting 101 error. I, I realized when I watched the film again, which was maybe seven years ago, I watched it to do the DVD commentary and I'm like, dude, we totally messed it up. We, we didn't put Bill and Ted at the center of the drive of the third act of that movie. And like, how could we have been so ignorant, you know, like so naive, so amateur to not figure that out, I guess, but we didn't, you know, for some reason. So, but I'm proud because it's weird and I'm proud because it's got like- You can't get weirder. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, well, it probably could have, it probably should have gotten weirder. And I think <laughs> we, we ended up with maybe a, too much of a kitchen sink in that last 20 minutes of it, just everything, arms akimbo, just like flailing toward an end. Um, but I am proud of a lot of the strangeness of it, you know, and, and I think Pete Hewitt did a, a really good visual job with it. I, I, I like all three films have, uh, because they each have a different director and because Chris and I were in very different places when we wrote them, they all have a very different feel and I'm, I'm glad that they each feel different you know to from each other now especially in hindsight well i have a real soft spot for bogus journey i have to, have to say yeah definitely yeah. there are people that feel that that's the, their favorite i mean i i don't know now that there's three what what the general feeling is in terms of what people's favorites and stuff the um i know that the the critical response for face the music is better than for the other two and the and the word of mouth is apparently good it don't doesn't mean it will be people's favorites i have no idea what people i think they're different. Each one is different enough. So maybe there's an, you, you can hate something in all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So God, as if you didn't know, we are not the three wise people that you might've thought we were. No, we mugged three people and took their clothes. Sorry. I'm Bill S. Preston. I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Together we are Wild Stallions! <laughs> this lovely lady is the Grim Reaper. He brought us here when we challenged him and won. Now, okay. First of all, congratulations on Earth. It's a most excellent planet, and Bill and I enjoy it on a daily basis. Yeah, not to mention your other great planets. Mars, Jupiter, Uranus. <laughs> You must have had a similar challenge with Face the Music in that, you know, the concept of teenage dreams being unfulfilled on paper, that might sound quite downbeat, but was it a challenge for you to tell that story while keeping the optimism and, and joy that fans love about the characters of Bill and Ted? That is a fantastic question. And uh, it was something we thought about a lot because we didn't want it to be, let's just do let's just pretend that Bill and Ted haven't changed. Let's just dress them up like they used to and trot them out like it's, you know, nothing has happened in their life and they're just still Bill and Ted. And that was not interesting to us and, and I'm glad we didn't do it that way. But we knew that the themes were different in this one. We had been through more life. When we wrote Excellent Adventure, we were essentially adolescent boys. Uh, you know, we were in our early 20s and I was a fairly immature early 20 year old myself. And even when we wrote, and, and, and Excellent Adventure is an adolescent boy fantasy. You know, you're gonna have a rock band and that rock band is gonna save the world and you're gonna get princess babes delivered to you on a platter at the end. Uh, very immature and very shallow. And, and, and Bogus Journey as an extension of that was similar. It was like, now we're in our, our, our late 20s, mid to late 20s, 
we're feeling immortal, we're feeling impervious to anything, we can do anything in our stupid juvenile minds. And and Bogus Journey kind of had that same, those same themes. Also, Chris and I were kind of at odds as friends, and so it has a lot of the darker undertones of our friendship. And uh, that movie was kind of, uh, had, a, had a darker spirit to it because also the guys were playing evil Bill and Ted as well as, you know, Bill and Ted. And I think the guys wanted to have that opportunity to play both ends of the bracket on that. But then on Face the Music, I'm going to be 60 years old tomorrow. I was 23 when we came up with Bill and Ted. And, you know, Chris and I both have had great loss and great joy. And we've had kids and, you know, we've had, you know, our own issues in our friendship. We've had ups and downs in every part of our life. And so have Alex and Keanu in gigantic ways. And the rest of our, our producing team, Scott Kruf, as well as Dean Perso, who directed the movie. And we knew we didn't want to make a movie that was untrue to where we were and where we thought the guys would be, the characters. So we thought, well, well what do we do about that? And we said, well, let's just be honest. I mean, where are they? We knew we didn't want to start the movie with, they were famous rock stars and then they had a falling out and like now they have to come back together, which was an idea that people, some people had had for us. We knew we didn't want to do that. We knew, A, they would never fall out, that Bill and Ted would never have a falling out, ever. And we knew that we wanted to have a lot more color, colors in this movie, you know, emotional nuance. And we, we didn't want to try to fake where we were. So we wanted to just, hopefully we can make this funny while also being, having a lot of other emotional elements, layers to it. It's sad. I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, I can't believe I cried in a Bill and Ted movie. And I'm like, well, yeah, I did too, actually, you know? I, I mean, I got very emotional at some of the ideas in this, in writing them, because it is about disappointment. It's about unfulfilled dream. It's about what if the promise you're told when you're a, a teenager uh, about your destiny hasn't worked out. And what do you do? How do you find peace with yourself again? What if you've been working so hard at something and it hasn't happened? How do you reconcile that in your life? And how do you find meaning in your life? And as a parent, the answer was clear to me and the answer to Chris was clear. As parents, what is the, the real thing you wanna leave on this planet? It's the next generation. It's, it's their world now. And okay, if we're going to do that, how do we not make it a, a bait and switch, which is a lot of people, I don't know in the UK, but we get this, oh my God, before the movie came out, I got so much grief from people who hadn't seen it yet saying, this is just going to be like, it's a, they, they literally called it a bait and switch, right? You're going to pretend it's about Alex and Keanu, but really it's going to be about their daughters. And then why are they girls and not boys? You, you know, <laughs> liberal agenda. And I was like, trust me. They were, they called, they thought it was like, is this going to be woke bullshit woke Hollywood propaganda? And I was, first of all, no one in Hollywood wants this movie. Just, just so you know, <laughs> Hollywood has rejected it flat out. So there's no agenda from Hollywood here. Secondly, and I can get into the gender thing in a minute, cause that wasn't your question, but if you want to talk about it, I'm happy to talk about it. But people were like, you know, concerned if it was going to be two generations, that it was going to be a fake out. And like, this is really about trying to set up the kids, isn't it? No. And then, so that was one challenge for us. And then the other challenge was, do we try to hide the big reveal at the end of this movie or not? And we chose to not really hide it. Like we're, we're, we're there is a big reveal. I don't know when your, this podcast runs. I don't know where pe if people have seen the movie or not. So I won't say specifically what it is. Most people will be able to figure it out. We're not trying to pretend that it's a giant mystery. We're just, but we do want it to have emotional resonance when Bill and Ted discover it. And so that was a big, tricky one. That was probably the trickiest one to navigate. But then for us, once we knew the, the premise, the core premise, you know, which is them stealing the song from themselves, that's inherently a comedic premise. So we knew then that we had the, the comic uh, core of it, the comic backbone of it. And we had those scenes, the scenes of Bill and Ted with themselves, 
were the ones that really made us laugh writing it. The thing is, the situation itself is rather serious. So it, it weirdly takes a little while for the comedy to really, I don't know, it has a different tone, I think, this film. It's not as jokey as the as Excellent Adventure, and probably that's a good thing. But um, And I didn't watch Excellent Adventure before we started writing it, and I, and I wondered if that was a bad idea or a good idea for a while. And I'm kind of glad I didn't now because I think I would have been trying to replicate that tone more had I watched it. And I don't think that would have been in service of the actual ideas in this movie. So, uh, uh, and, and finally, Tom, to your, to your question, the last thing I'll say about that is all the best comedy writers that I've ever worked with or comedians that I've ever worked with, and this applies to Alex and Keanu as well. And when Chris and I are breaking stories on this as well, yes, you want to go for the comedy, but what's more important is that it have emotional truth and, and that it not feel like you're uh, stretching to get to a joke, but rather the joke is coming out of the character. So that requires breaking the story as though it's a drama but with the comedic mindset, to me at least. I mean, other comedy writers may, may work differently. I remember, like, I, I worked a lot with Gary Shandling, and, and uh, Gary was, you, honestly, you would never know you were breaking a comedy sometimes. You'd talk about a story for ever, and you wouldn't even get to anything, any of the jokes. That, the, the understanding was that the jokes would come if it was lined up correctly. And uh, I think we felt that way, all of us on this one, too. What is the truth here? And Chris and I will often say that to ourselves when we're stuck, when we're in a jam, like, okay, what's the, all right, let's just go back. What's the truth? What would happen here? What, what are they just feeling here? You know? Yeah. And again, with this movie, um, George Carlin, of course, sadly passed away in, in 2008, but um, without going into too much detail, Rufus is still very much part of the movie. Um, it must've been important to kind of get that right as well on, on face the music. Oh, getting, getting that right was a big deal for us and not doing anything that would in any way diminish the memory of George or act, make it seem like we didn't care because he, his absence is a big presence in the movie itself. And, you know, George, I didn't know him very well personally. Uh, I did spend some time with him outside the movie after the movie. We ran into each other a few different times. He invited me to some stuff. But every time we would get together, he would talk about his daughter, Kelly, in, and his wife, Brenda, but also, but he talked so proudly about Kelly. And I met Kelly then. She came to set. We became friends. And we, um, there's a character played by Kristen Shaw, who is Rufus's daughter. I'm, I think this is in the, trailer. I don't think, I don't think I'm giving anything away. Uh, her name is Kelly, uh, named after Kelly. Kelly has a little cameo in the movie in the future as well. Actual Kelly. We had a scene originally in the script where the guys went back to the circle K and they saw themselves seeing themselves as teenagers and they acted with their young selves that we were going to digitally manipulate. And they were going to have a real interaction with George that we were going to digitally manipulate, but we didn't have much money make the movie and we didn't have enough money to do that scene well and so it would have looked super cheesy and we we're like no 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 like like the worst thing we want to do to george is something that that diminishes his presence or looks even remotely weird so we we got rid of that scene and we kept a scene where you see him briefly and with some reverence and uh and obviously the fact that Kelly, who is Rufus's daughter, is named after George's daughter, Kelly, we thought was at least an honest tribute to George in a movie that's about fathers and daughters, parents and children, or you know, however you want to look at it. Greetings, my excellent friends. Do you know when the Mongols ruled China? Wow. Perhaps we could ask them. Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. Gentlemen, I'm here to help you with your history report. 
Well, um, we hope this isn't the end of the Bill and Ted franchise, obviously, without giving spoilers away. But can you see this as is the, you know is this the end for Bill and Ted? Do you have in mind any kind of future when you started this this film? I don't really know what is left to tell for Bill and Ted, because you know in this movie you you see them on their deathbed. Um, one of my favorite scenes is actually Alex and Keanu playing ninety-five-year-old Bill and Ted, um, and and Keanu, and both guys, their relationship with themselves has always just cracked me up. Like Ted's Ted's bizarre antipathy and distrust of himself that he, you know he doesn't quite get along with himself. <laughs> Fascinating and rooted in the bizarre psychology of Ted early on, who is kind of buoyant and you know bubbly and effervescent, but actually has this horrible, abusive father and. No mother, apparently, uh, which Chris and I have often talked about. It's interesting. We've, we wrote them in, but then lost them as characters. It's fascinating to see. And then you see how devoted they are to their wives and devoted they are to their daughters, but without mothers, it's interesting. But uh, because we kind of visit them at the end, it feels like we've told the Bill and Ted story. I mean, if people were interested in a Billy and Thea story, I think there could be a lot to be of fun to be had if, if Sam and Bridget wanted to do it and you know the right people were involved with it but i don't think there's more to tell on the bill and ted side of it but i mean maybe some you know maybe 30 years later maybe if, if alex and Keanu <laughs> wanted to revisit them that might be really interesting but i can't see it um i don't think so right now i just don't i don't see us having another thing of merit to say with them if we had a great idea Maybe, but I just don't know. I feel like we finished. It's time for us all, I think, to face the music. <laughs> Ed, uh, thank you for being excellent and agreeing to come on the podcast. It's been fantastic to sit down with you virtually and uh, and talk about Bill and Ted. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I, uh, anytime you want to have me on, let me know. I'd, I, I'd be thrilled to be with you guys again. So, And I hope that whoever's listening to this, if, the, if you do choose to see the movie, I hope, I hope it at least puts a smile on your face for 90 minutes. Be excellent to each other. And... Party on, dudes! Well, there you have it. Uh, thanks again to Ed Solomon for joining us for our Bill and Ted special, especially given that it was the day before his 60th birthday. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> very... <laughs> no, very generous of Ed to give us uh, some of his time. Um, and he did say that he would happily come back. Uh, so so who knows? Maybe another one-off special could be in the offing in the future. Well, why don't we just do a Men in Black episode and then we have Ed back. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Done. We'll just have to pin him down. I'm sure I'm sure he's keen. My only, my only disappointment, Tom, with this, mm. this very special episode, we put out too late. It really should have been episode 69, dude. <laughs> Uh, I entertain myself Uh, but if you enjoyed our interview with Ed it may well be that you're a a Bill and Ted fan and this is the first time you're listening to this podcast in which case thanks Uh, but be sure to check out all of our previous episodes at twogeekstwobeers.com episode 26 which is our Keanu Reeves special will be of special interest to you and includes more Bill and Ted chat uh, we're also on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Global Player, and all other good podcast outlets. And many of our episodes, old and new, are now on YouTube. So you can also find us there, unless you're already listening to this on YouTube and you've already found us there. Whoa. <laughs> Spooky. Um, yeah, and please do follow us on all the different social channels if you want to uh, catch up with us as we go on with our our little lives, I guess. Uh, we're on at Two Geeks Cast at on uh, you know all the usual ones: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you'd like to support us and get some exclusive goodies, then uh, go to Patreon.com/slash/TwoGeeksCast, and uh, you'll be able to get your own special episodes and stuff you can only get there. And you can also email us podcast at twogeekstwobeers.com and send us thoughts, feedback, suggestions for future episodes, suggestions for future podcast guests. Uh, get in touch. Now, to play us out, Tom, I thought it appropriate to cue up a snippet of the lead single from Bill and Ted Face the Music. It's Weezer's Beginning of the End. Any excuse for you to play Weezer?
Uh, it's it, you know it's on brand. It's fine. I was thinking. I was thinking. Ah, oh, he's going to play a bit of Kiss. God gave rock and roll to you. That would be brilliant. No. <laughs> but look, we're plugging a new movie, so it makes sense. Absolutely there fine. There you go. So thanks again for listening. Station. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Got all the catchphrases out. Good. <laughs> Knocking on my door, they tell me it's time to go on. Last check in the mirror to see if anything's wrong. The writing's up on the wall. A warning shot to them all. My head is spinning. The beginning of the end The people freak out When I walk out there So You know, I've never been a massive fan of um, fancy dress. Mm. But if ever we've got the opportunity to go somewhere, I feel like... As a duo. Yeah. yeah. Annoyingly, that means you have to be Keanu Reeves, because I'm the shorter one, so I will look, you know, but... You know, like, but I, I didn't want to say it, but since you said it, I do feel like I have both both the stature and <laughs> the the godlike... The, the, chis- <laughs> the chiseled physique of... Uh, yeah. Keanu of, of, of Keanu Reeves, and yeah. and you can be you can be Alex Winter, who's also fantastic. <laughs> no one loses. That is the thing with that is the thing with Bill and Ted. If you if you yeah. if you if you cosplay, if you fancy dress as Bill and Ted, no one loses because they're both great characters. I couldn't pick a favorite. <laughs> having said <laughs> having said having said that having said that, I will be Keanu Reeves. Just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>